Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. morning again. Um, it's good to be here with you. Let's pray one more time. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. We're going through this book of Matthew. I just want to welcome you to our service. Uh, I see some new faces. Welcome. It's, we're so happy to have you. And we have been, for the past few weeks, going through the book of Matthew. And we just learned, uh, when, when Jesus opened his mouth, he started proclaiming, who's blessed? Who's blessed? And we see that the people who are blessed are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who come to listen to Jesus and what he has to say. It's his listeners who are on this path of blessedness from the very beginning. So now, what this portion that was read, we see that we are blessed, not just to say, wow, we're blessed, but we're blessed to be a blessing. So blessed first, blessing second. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. And how are we one? How are we blessed? Um, so I had I had lunch with a pastor this past week, and then he wanted to tell me that he uh, was really blessed by CGS. And I was like, "That's interesting. Why? Why would you say that?" And he goes, "When I look at you guys, you guys just seem so united, and CGS seems like this." unified church uh, I came back and I told one of our elders this and he and I were both like what but <laughs> but we're like huh I guess I guess even the way we struggle to try to keep it together the way we say you know what I'm going to love you the best I can and I want you as you love me the best I can and we go through all this it's like it's like that the image of the duck the feet are going crazy but outside 
is it a swan? I don't know. <laughs> it's a swan, but outside it looks pretty good. Um, but that's the thing. When people see us, are they blessed? And we continue to think about it. The unity that maybe people perceive here in this uh, church is a unity that took years and years and years to build. And I know some of you are newer. Some of you have been coming a few years, three years, five years, eight years, ten years. And I want to let you know, don't give up. Continue to strive for this unity. Continue to plug yourself in. And because as you plug yourself in, we become a blessing to not just ourselves, but to those around us. So don't give up on this unity. And um, if you ever stop, let's say we ever stop um, working out to be a blessing, you know, whatever that may be, there's a huge danger in that. There is a danger. Uh, there's a danger spiritually. There's a danger emotionally. There's a danger physically. A lot of you like exercising. So if you are exercising, you reach certain goals, uh, it takes about you know, three weeks for you to lose a lot of those gains that you had from exercise or lifting or whatever. So when you stop, you see that there is a loss of muscle mass. I'm not just talking now about physical, but there is something transcended. There's a truth that transcends all these areas of life. And I was talking with certain pastors and, you know, we share stuff and we share how we can bless each other, how can we pray for you. And one of the things that he told me was, uh, you know, isn't it really hard for families, people who have young children, to really serve the church? And I thought about it and I was like, wow, you know what? Maybe we are blessed because we have so many young families really trying their best, even though they're 24-7 up taking care of their newborn babies, trying to participate in our church and I really do appreciate all of our young families that are doing that but this one particular church pastor told me that families would go on this hiatus for eight years so once you have a kid uh, it's really tough and you just have to spend all your time and energy and after eight years they try to come back to the church and it was really difficult and I'm, I'm letting you guys know because we are not here alone in this world we have other people that are teaching us, showing us, walking with us, not just here in CGS, but other churches too. And if you, honestly, if you really want to love on the families, then we will love on the families by praying for them, by supporting them, by loving on them, and showing them we need you here. Um, I mentioned this often because a few weeks ago, I think I mentioned the idolatry of family. It's in the evangelical church. It's huge. In fact, if you Google idolatry of family, you'll come up with a ton of hits. But once again, I want to remind you, whether you're single or you're married and have kids or no kids, whatever the case is, your spiritual life with God is the most important thing. Your spiritual life with God is more important than anything else in this world. And I get it. Some people in certain life stages have it tougher at times. Families do have it tougher at times. And I really think so. The things that I've been just running through with other people, other pastors and other leaders are, do you also think this? And they would ask me, do I see this? And I think so. 
And for me, I really do blame a lot on social media. But if you know me, I, I make fun of a lot of social media culture a lot. Because the thing is, like almost now, parents can't do anything right. Parents are literally raising their kids in constant judgment and fear. And as people who tell the truth and proclaim the truth, leaders of any community, we have to say that's not a good way to live. We don't judge. We actually embrace, absorb, support, and walk with. But I feel like everyone's got problems these days. And I couldn't help but to ask, is it a season of the world? <laughs> I couldn't help but to ask that. Is it the world that's having problems and we're all just facing these, these issues? Look at our nation, our leaders, other nations, their leaders, our communities. Is it just a world season thing? And if, even whether you agree with that or not, then I want to say that Jesus' words are incredibly apt and they are perfect. For today's listener. Jesus' words today is perfect for those who are like, how come I have so many problems? How come there are so many problems in the world today? Listen to his words and know that you are the one that's blessed because you are listening to the word right now. And remember, as blessed, we necessarily didn't do anything. We just sat here just to listen. But as we listen, we are blessed and we're called to bless others. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Salt, I, I get it. When we say salt, we, in our culture, we don't necessarily mean salty. So we're not to be salty people, but salt people, right? And so I guess salt has a lot of uses and effects for the human body or in the world. But Jesus is referring to one specific quality of salt. If he was talking about everything of salt, then he would have said all these things. But he's talking specifically about taste, right? He's talking specifically about taste. Salt, it needs to be salty, so we're not salty people. However, salt has effects um, on the body. Like people now, I think, realize, oh, if you feel a little nauseous and things like that, even a little salt helps. You guys know that if you feel a little nauseous, you might want to keep like a little saltine cracker next to you and just nibble on it. Don't eat the whole thing. Just nibble on it. I learned that a little bit of the hard way. I felt nauseous one night and I felt like throwing up when I was a kid. I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I feel like throwing up. And uh, I guess he had read that salt calms some nausea, but he had a vat like, you know, those uh, kimchi, you make kimchi, those vats. There was a vat full of sea salt and he took a spoon full of sea salt. He said, eat this. And I said, I don't think I could do that. And he goes, just eat it. And he was, he was, you know, he's a big man. So I, I ate, I put it in my mouth. And immediately as, when I put the tablespoon of sea salt in my mouth, everything came out. <laughs> uh, dad. Okay. Uh, but uh, he, he was so mad at me. I was like, why are you mad at me? <laughs> anyway, but when we talk about salt, what is Jesus really talking about? Jesus is talking about this this thing that we understand now as salt to taste. 
salt to taste. It's when you when you when you have a recipe and someone says salt to taste, it doesn't mean make your dishes salty, so salty you can't eat it. Instead, this is what uh, some cookbooks and recipes literally write. Keep in mind what salt does as a seasoning. It reduces bitterness and brings out the flavors of other more subtle ingredients. It reduces bitterness and brings out the flavors of more other more subtle ingredients. If you have a dish that tastes flat or bitter, a little salt might be the only fix you need. You are the blessed. You are called to season this world so that it is a little less bitter and it will bring out the flavors of more subtle ingredients. There is strife. There is sorrow. There is absolute contempt that we have from parties and people that don't agree with each other. But you salt by being a blessing that Jesus is leading you on from thirsting and hungering for righteousness to being merciful, to being pure in heart and then a peacemaker. But if you're not being a blessing, you're not fighting for unity, you're not salting it up anywhere, what is Jesus' words? If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So we don't want that. If you read that, you would be like, oh, we need to be salt. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why does he immediately go to this, if you lose its flavor, it's going to be trampled. It seems like a big, big threat. And so there are some things that we need to keep in mind. If we want to continue to be salt, stay in the blessing. Number one, stay in the blessing. Stay in listening distance of Jesus' words. When he's speaking, go so you can listen. It's like, what is he saying? What is he saying? And in our life, Jesus' words are here in the Bible. And whenever the Bible is proclaimed and read, we are to gear and lean our hearts toward him and our ears to listen. And here's another insight. Remember I talked about unity a bit and salt and like, he's just putting one and one together. He's just making stuff up. Uh, Mark chapter 9 verse 50 says, salt is good. This is Jesus' word. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? And then he says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Have salt in yourselves. And be at peace with one another. You really want to be a salt. You really want this world to have its flavor brought out, its bitterness put down, the subtleness to come out and to make it a really nice place. Then be the salt. Have peace with one another. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. I'm not just putting one on one because I feel like it. It's literally Jesus' words in the Bible. Don't lose your saltiness. Number one, be in proximity of the word. Listen to the word. Know that it replenishes your soul. And when you hear the words of Christ, it gives you life. And number two, be at peace with one another. As you hear the word, don't, don't increase strife. Don't increase suffering. But be peacemakers. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Be merciful. Be pure in heart. 
Jesus continues, you are the light of the world. A city, on a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your sh light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So both metaphors of salt and light are similar, but they also have their differences. So in the analogy of light to the world, Jesus is saying your good works now, as Christ's followers, are to shine for all to see. The things that we do, the things that we actually um, show when we deal with one another, the graciousness that we speak with, all these things are good works that shine for all to see and bring glory to your Father. So the idea here is similar. The presence of light and darkness is something that you can't mistake. So if Christians are supposed to be light in a dark world, then it's supposed to be evident. As soon as I turn on the light, it's not like should the light maybe can come out. Not as soon as I turn on the light, the light shines in the world. As soon as I put a little salt in the bland food, the flavor immediately comes out. We are to be people who are called to distinctiveness in the world. We're supposed to be different than the world. We're supposed to salt the world and light the world. As a disciple, we are not secret disciples. R.T. France says this, a secret disciple is no more use in the world than one who has lost his distinctiveness. Listen to what it's saying. A secret disciple is an unsalty salt. It doesn't make any sense. You are distinct because you are Christ's disciple. And because you are Christ's disciple, you have this distinctiveness in you. Good words are to be seen and to give glory to God. So good words, good works, all the actions that we say and do are to be seen, to be heard, so that we bless each other and give glory to God. And I was thinking about all this light stuff and about how photons, um, you know, the light particles, it's like it spreads out, like, and then uh, how it's like scattered. Man, that was like too good. I was like, wait. And then when you saw food, you put it in your mouth, so you're gathered. I was like, okay, that's too corny. I can't do that. Let's not do that. But honestly, we see all these things, all these missives that Jesus is giving the church, and we're seeing all these truths come out in the scriptures. His very words is showing us that we are to be a salt and light in the world. And so doing this, we see this line of teaching already come out. Who's blessed? Who's hashtag blessed? It's you. People that are listening to the word of Jesus Christ, to the Bible, to the word of God. And as you are blessed, know this, you are to be a blessing. And some people might, might have thought, hey, this is really different from every other portion in the Bible. Jesus is... Uh, not like he's doing something really different. And that's why he immediately goes to the next line. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, which is another word for scriptures. So do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
And so you might be thinking, oh, is what Jesus saying and doing all these things nullifying the scriptures? So, you know what? I don't have to follow everything in the law. I am already a blessing, so I can live whatever way I want. And he goes, don't think that. That's not what I am saying. In fact, he says, I have not come to abolish twice, which means to destroy or tear down. I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. And this word uh, is a really interesting Greek word. Fulfill is a great, great translation. It could mean fulfill, but in the sense where it's completed or also filled. So if I have this empty bottle, it's filled to the top. So if there is something to be done, like let's say the law requires something to be done, and you go this way, is it fulfilled or is it fulfilled? The answer is no. But if you fill it all the way to the top, then you can say it's fulfilled or it's been completed or it's full. And this is what Jesus is saying. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this is really interesting. The next, next um, word is for truly, I say to you, is the translation. The literal word is amen. So he goes, amen, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so why would Jesus first say amen? Why do we say amen? When do we say amen? So when someone comes to pray, and today's prayer was so beautiful, when someone comes to pray, and then they finish the prayer, or in the middle of the prayer, there's something really that your soul and spirit resonates with. Our hearts go, amen. We say amen because we're saying, that's the truth. I believe in it. I agree with you. I stand with you. Those are the things that we say, amen. This is the truth. But Jesus goes, amen first. Which is really weird. It's like if I said, Amen, Joe, you will be standing up. And then you're like, what? What does that mean? And so he is saying, Amen, already verifying the words that are going to come out of his mouth. And to, just, to, just, to, just to do this justice may take a really long time because in the Gospel of John, there are so many Amen, Amen sayings. You may have heard of this. Amen. He goes, Amen, Amen. And then he says all these things, which is crazy because... Whose job was it back then to say amen? It was the leaders of the community. The leaders of the community would listen to a preacher or a teacher, and after they had spoken, they would say amen. If they didn't say amen, that means you're full of it. Don't listen to this guy. So people would listen to the leaders to see if they would qualify or verify what was spoken up from the pulpit or the stage or whatever it was. But Jesus going, amen. Now nullified every person that could qualify what he's about to say. In fact, what he's doing, he's qualifying himself, saying, I, what I'm about to say is absolute truth. Who else has that power? Who else has that power? When they speak, it becomes truth. When they speak, it becomes reality. Let there be light, and light appeared. There is an authority in the voice of the Lord. And Jesus is saying, Amen. And then he's speaking. And he's showing us he has the same authority. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. She's saying this 
is the word of the law. He is verifying and affirming what you have heard from the law and the prophets. It is the word of God. And none of it will pass until all of it is accomplished. And then he goes, therefore, whoever relaxes one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does, does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Until the law has reached its ultimate culmination in Jesus, there is an intended purpose that the law was meant to achieve. And Jesus is saying, I will achieve it. It will be achieved in me, says Jesus, right? Not me. But, and then he goes, Amen. And he's going even further. He's going even further to validate this statement. And he is saying that he has this power to not just affirm the word, validate the word, but to fulfill the word. He is the word. The Law and the prophets, again, we said was another word for scriptures. And until all the heavens and all the earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot. And if you look at any language, even just one dot or one like scribble can actually change the whole wor word. Like um, a space can change a whole phrase. And he's saying none of that will change until it's all accomplished and everything will come to pass. And um, even in the very, very end of the Bible, uh, Revelation, these are the very last last uh, verses he goes i warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them god will add to him the plagues described in this book if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy god will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in the book he who testifies to these things says surely i am coming soon amen come lord jesus the grace of the lord jesus be with all amen so that was the end of our Bible. And this is why we take the scriptures so seriously. We take it so seriously. Every iota, every dot, because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said so. And so this is why we lift it up. And um, I told some of you this, but I went to a seminary where a professor, this is a serious question, he asked me, he's like, yo, Eugene, why do you believe the Bible? Or how can you believe the Bible? Mind you, this is a seminary professor, okay? So there are people out there that are teaching that don't believe that the Bible is true. He said, why do you, how can you believe that the Bible is true? Because he saw what I wrote, and he saw I was validating it through the Bible. And I just said, very simply, it's this. Uh, professor, if you told me that the sky is pink, and then you died, and then you rose again, and then you said, the sky is pink. I'm going to tell everybody, guys, the sky is pink. The sky is pink. And I told them, I believe what Jesus says because he died and he rose again. If someone else dies and rises again and says something, I'll believe that too. And then it, it took him back. He was like, okay. And there was end of conversation. There was no debate after that. He's like, how can you believe in the Bible? It's like, well, Jesus died and rose again and affirmed the word. That's why I believe in it. And that's why we believe in it too. 
Not only is our Lord Jesus claiming lordship and saying, this is the word of God. And that's why when we read the Bible, the person reading the scripture has a daunting task. is to take the scripture and the word of God and to proclaim it. That's why we start with, hear now the word of the Lord. Because this is not my own saying. This is the word of God. And that's why we say at the end, thanks be to God. We could actually hear the word of God. This is from beginning of Genesis all the way to the last book of Revelation. We believe every single book is the word of God. It is affirmed throughout scripture. And Jesus affirms the scriptures. And so, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? Why is Jesus fulfilling them and telling us to keep it? Don't change it. Why is he doing all these things? I'm just going to give you a quick, quick kind of reason why and then we'll end it. But Jesus affirms the scriptures because the scriptures affirm who he is. It's a reflection of who God is. The scriptures are a reflection of who God is. And that's why sometimes when we, I warned you before, as we go through these next verses and chapters, it's, some of it's going to be really tough. It's going to talk about anger. It's going to talk about lust. It's going to talk about divorce. It's going to talk about oaths. And you can be like, yeah, you know, I, I don't ever get angry. But then, boom, when lust hits, you're like, oh, man. Why does it hurt so much at times? I'm going to tell you why. Because you're not God. Because you're not God. It should hurt at times. But in this pain, you see what God is doing is he's showing us not just a reflection of who he is, but he's showing as you look into the mirror, you start adjusting yourself in your life to become more like him. That's why he's saying whoever relaxes any one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. If you change anything, what are you really changing? Aren't you changing the character and the reflection of God? That's why we don't t change anything, not one iota, not one dot, or if you're in, in the King James, like not one dot or tittle, right? Nothing, none of that will change because this is a reflection of who God is. And some of you may be thinking, well, wait, wait, I thought, I thought Jesus fulfilled the scripture. So that means we're not under the obligation of the law of what was required before. And some of you who've been going to church have heard this a long time, maybe that's, that's the first thing that comes. There are things that we should understand that the law isn't some haphazard, just silly rule system for people to follow. Once again, it reflected the character of God. So if you ran up to me and said, do I have to do any of these things in the Old Testament anymore? I don't have to, right? And I would say, no, but you have to do more. You have to do more. He goes, your righteousness must exceed the Pharisees and the scribes. What did they exactly follow? You know, after the Ten Commandments, there were 603 more commandments written on the rest of the Torah. And so that's why the Jewish law was all 613. And they had to follow all of that. The Pharisees are following them all. And Jesus is like, you have to follow more than that. So I know it's a useful distinction. And if we ever have Sunday school, I would love to get into it. What's the difference between moral law, ceremonial law, and Jesus fulfills the ceremonial law, but the moral law points to Christ still. And it is, both of them are fully 
perfected in the work of Christ. And, and then, so I would love to go into that, but for now I want to say this. God shows us his character in the law, in the Bible. And by showing us his character, we also understand because God is immutable, meaning unchanging. And we're saying we want to change the law or we don't want to take part in this part. We are doing violence to his character. So we don't change any of that law. And for example, if God would say, it's now okay to worship idols. I know, I know in the past I said, don't worship idols. Okay, we could worship idols now because it's a totally different thing. He would be denying his deity. He would be not denying his supremacy. He would be denying who he actually was. So there are moral laws, meaning things that show us his goodness. And by living it and speaking it, we actually see that we are reflecting God. So that, this is why I'm saying Jesus shows us who he is in the law by fulfilling it. By fulfilling it. Jesus shows who he is in the law by fulfilling it. God shows us who he is in the word through scripture. If, if, this, if, if some people are thinking, we don't need any of the Old Testament. because there's, I'm saying this because there's a, a small movement of people today that go, we don't need any of the Old Testament. Now the New Testament's the new thing. And some people will even go further. It's, like, it's not even the New Testament. It's just the four first, first four books. Forget about the rest of it. If you're saying any of that, I'm telling you, you're in error, in deep error, and troublesome error. Because if that were really the case, then Jesus would not have even needed to speak anything after verse 20. He wouldn't have had to talk about anger or lust or divorce or oaths or any of that. But in fact, he continues to talk about it. Why? Because as he reveals the law, he's revealing who he is. And this is why we can resonate with the Psalms when the psalmist goes, Oh, how I love your law. This is what we're also resonating. We love that the law reflects your character and your goodness. But this is what I wanted to end with, is if this is the case, then I want to challenge each and every single one of you listening to Jesus' words today. Make a commitment to study the word right now. Make a commitment to study God's word right now. Grab a few people. It's okay. Then grab a pastor or an elder. If you don't have one, start the study. Come to Sunday school when we have it. And we're going to study the word. If people ask me, what unifies CGS or what unifies this church? What is the goal? Why? What is the core of CGS? I want this to be the truth. We, we are core. What we are unified in is the word of God. It's the word of God. Our love for the word. Our love to follow and listen to Jesus' voice. And this is what we want to do. He is the one that lived this perfect life, died and rose again. And as we listen to him now and listen to his voice, we are the ones being slowly changed. Our minds, our hearts are becoming more like his. That's why we can say, oh Lord, how I love your law. Praise Jesus for what he has done and what he continues to do through his spirit in our lives. Let's pray.